Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> or, um, no, that was in honor of Penelope Cruz. Yeah. Anyway. There's also German. Yeah. So, hello. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Guten Tag. Yes. Uh, the reason that we keep speaking in different languages is that this week we watched 2004's Head in the Clouds. Uh, did I get the date wrong again? No, no right. I'm right. shocked that that's the year. Okay. It felt like, I don't know, 19... 19- 81 to me. <laughs> this is a wartime romantic melodrama starring Charlize and her then beau Stuart Townsend mm-hmm. and also Penelope Cruz. And at the time, I checked with Joe Reed, who is the expert on all things Oscar. Apparently, <laughs> this would qualify for his Tumblr. This had Oscar buzz. But boy, did this movie get torn apart by critics and not seen at all. It made $3 million worldwide. Wow. Yeah. And is completely forgotten. All this to say, it was very difficult for us to get a copy of it to watch. So we did some things we're not going to go into. It is streaming nowhere. And the copy that we saw did not have subtitles. And many key pivotal scenes take place entirely in French or in German. A little bit in Spanish. A little bit in Spanish, but that's mostly the newsreel. And anyway, some flirting is in Spanish. You can definitely figure out what's going on. You just get it's... the gist of it, but it's kind of like watching Shakespeare, where it's like, I don't really know exactly what you're saying, <laughs> but I kind of get it. I'm going to balk at any comparison between what we just watched <laughs> and Shakespeare. I'm going to balk real hard, because even if you don't 100% get it, it's done exquisitely in writing. And the writing in this movie... uh if it's I can non-existent. Give, yeah. Okay, so let's do our one sound review. Okay. Uh, uh. Clomp, clomp, clomp. It's limping along. Oh. <laughs> I cheated, obviously, but that's because that's also how Penelope Cruz walks in this movie, because she has a limp. And they give you a couple shots where she's very specifically walks five steps, so you know that some shit happened to her leg. And it's 100% one of those things where it's like, she's still beautiful, despite her flaw. Right. She wanted to be a dancer. You know what happens to dancers? The same thing that happens to surgeons' hands. <laughs> Terrible things and regret for life. And all of that cliche makes her the best character in the movie because nobody has any substance of any kind. All right. This movie, I'm- wait, I want to <laughs> say, this movie, imagine if you will, beautiful, exquisite paper dolls enacting a story as told by the notes from a first-year philosophy student and, like, read by someone who's just learning how to speak with other people. It doesn't make any sense, it's very thin, and it's just very broadly brushed about feelings and dilettantism and fascism, but no, like, depth whatsoever. I'm gonna go ahead and say that I'm in the Prometheus chair. Oh, no! 
I'm surprised I can get this worked up about it because I had to fight to remember or stay awake through any of this. Okay, so I'm going to give a plot summary. Godspeed. All right, it is a a story of three people in a pseudo three-way relationship, but primarily focused on Charlize as Gilda, who's an American heiress, and Stuart Townsend, who's named Guy. Because that's all he is, people. <laughs> uh, he is, is a... He's sort of like a Bernie bro type. Uh, you know, he's Irish, or he's Northern Irish, and yeah. he says at the beginning, technically, or on paper, I'm British, but I don't believe in nations. Because he, this was an era where people, particularly on the left, were of the, like, international school, which is why the International Brigade, like, went to Spain, etc. Right. This is the late 30s, and so basically... It, early it, Early. Late 20s, uh, early 30s. Oh. How right? long does... Or wait, oh, this movie goes on for 34 years. The <laughs> palm reader gave her the number 34 very dramatic. Yes. Which was also not in English. <laughs> you had to guess what that was about. No... That was in English. English. Oh, was it? Okay. It shouldn't have been in English. Or was it in America? No, it was in uh, Paris. It was in Paris. She goes in as a child and is like, I want to have my poems read. And the woman won't do it. And then she comes back. She's like, what did you see? And she just says, your 34th year, which we're led to believe that she knows that she's going to die when she's 34. Right. So I I really thought that this movie started in the mid thirties, like when the fascism is encroaching upon Europe. I thought was sort of the beginning, but right. they're in Cambridge and they're all kind of like carefree college students. But Guy is like a lot of serious stuff is going on yeah. in the continent. He has sex with Charlize on top of a pool table. It's implied he was a virgin. And he's just, like, falls in love with her forever in his life. It's like, you are the perfect woman, and I will chase you to the ends of the earth. He's like a bird that fell out of a nest, and she caught him, and he's just, like, imprinted. Yes. Couldn't possibly do anything other than follow you around. Yes. And so he does, and I suppose that they are next together in Paris, and this is decidedly during the Spanish Civil War. Yes. And... Charlize is living with some boring man and Penelope Cruz, whose character's name is Mia. Mia, Mia, who has a limp and is a nursing student slash model slash would-be dancer. She's also a burlesque dancer. Right. So, and it's implied that she has done some other sex work. So Stuart Townsend moves in or Guy moves in and he and Charlize have some here's the thing, guys. I was led to believe that this movie was going to contain a lot of hot sex. It does not. It It does does not. And it has one semi-okay sex scene, which pales in comparison to Keanu biting her butt on the dance floor in Devil's Advocate. (laughs) It has the most boring alleged orgy I have ever seen put on film. The orgy involves a woman laying with a pearl necklace and some dude, like, talking at her. An actual pearl necklace, not a metaphor. Correct. <laughs> and then Stuart Townsend is like, he's writing a poem on her stomach. And I'm like, is is he literally, I, is that some kind of weird metaphor? Because it looked very boring, like someone writing a poem on someone's stomach. Yeah, I think he yeah. was, like, probably reading Keats and, like, I don't know, Ugh. warming the her side. It anyway, was very boring. Okay. Was, I mean, this movie is attempting to be a bunch of other movies. That was just the dangerous liaisons portion. It definitely... So, I think that this movie definitely... I wonder if there were sex scenes that were cut 
it seems like they were trying to go for, like, erotic melodrama. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of what is driving the movie is that Charlize Theron's character, Gilda, is very much in opposition to society's norms and wants to do whatever she wants. She's a wild and free dilettante spirit. And so when she uh, first bursts onto the scene, she, like, bursts into his room in Cambridge where he's not allowed to have any visitors, particularly of the opposite sex. And she was running away from her boyfriend who she had a fight with. And she ends up spending the night... And kicking him in the boner. Yeah, and they make jokes about his willy. When she has sex with him on top of the pool table, him being Guy, she's still dating the other gentleman, but it's like, oh, like she's a wild woman. She can do whatever she wants. Right. Um, You're awfully modern, aren't you? Is something that yeah. Guy yes. says to her. So I guess that what became so confusing to me is that based on like the plot summary on the internet, I thought that it was going to be like a solid three-way relationship between Charlize... And Stuart Townsend and Penelope Cruz. And indeed, there is a scene where Mia is erotically dancing for them. And it to me, it was obvious they were all going to have sex together. And then slow dissolve. And then they all wake up in bed together. Correct. Mm -hmm. But then fast forward and we'll recap the in-between later. Penelope Cruz says to Guy, you know I was Gilda's lover, right? Like, how is that news to him? Right. Well, and, I think and maybe, it, maybe she means, like, in addition to the times that we all had sex, like, I had my own relationship with her in addition to that. But then doesn't it also seem like, because they then have sex, yes. and doesn't it off screen, because this movie is not sexy, <laughs> it seems like they're having sex for the first time, right? She says, like, Gilda would want this. Yes. I mean, I suppose it's different the first time you have sex separately. I guess the movie doesn't make it clear. It yeah. Is, it is so not and also explored. they the other thing is like they they all have like a very close friendship and since they don't show them boning, they could have maybe just all, you know, been close in bed together. Right. Which Yeah. This movie wants you to think it's the dreamers, but is definitely not. So Romance and non-sex aside, the basic deal with the plot here is that Penelope Cruz's character, like Penelope Cruz, is Spanish, and she's like, my country is falling apart, I have to go back. I only came here to learn how to be a nurse so that I could go help my country. Right. Guy is like, this was my deal when I was in college. I need to, you know, walk the walk. And also he had become like an English teacher, but he was campaigning for the Republican side. Right. And, like handing out pamphlets and spreading the word about the Spanish Civil War. And then like Gilda wrote him a letter telling him where he could meet her and he dropped right. everything to be with her. And Gilda is like, why is this our problem? Our life is so great. Why do we need to care about this? Gilda is very wealthy and very, you should only live in the moment and everything else is a game. She is sheet caking. <laughs> and it is hard to watch this stuff in our current climate. Yes. This movie, I feel, I would feel very differently about it if I watched it a year ago. Right. I don't think she's sheet caking. Really? Because yeah. I think she's not aware enough to be angry enough to do anything about it. Like, I think, like, there's a part, there's a portion of it where Hitler is speaking on the radio. Yeah. And the two, and Mia and Guy are very upset by it, but like, her father is a fascist. Like, he, her father is not American. Her father is French, French, right wing. And so she's kind of like, oh, I think, I think whatever, like, she says something about like, oh, like, Hitler just says, like, once he has this, he'll be fine. And they, look at her like, are you an idiot? And she's just like, ugh, I don't deal with this stuff. So I think she is either entirely ignorant of world events or, like, has her father's ideology, like, casually imprinted on her. 
is what I got from the movie. Okay, so moving forward, we are, Stuart Townsend goes to Spain, Penelope Cruz is murdered, and, or, you know, dies in the war, and he returns to Paris years later. When they both leave, Gilda is furious with them and refuses to speak or have contact with them. Right. They send her letters that she never answers. Correct. So years later, during the Nazi occupation, he goes back to Paris as a spy, and Gilda is in a relationship with a Nazi officer. Before that, he goes back to Paris after the Spanish Civil War, but before World War II, and he stakes out Gilda's apartment. She sees him, makes eye contact, and walks away from him, and won't, like, acknowledge him. Oh, that was before? That's before. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then he goes back to England, and then World War II breaks out. Right. So, this in this third act, where... He's basically like, this woman who I've been in love with my entire life is a a Nazi sympathizer. He's, like, completely broken. He breaks into her apartment and pretty much rapes her. Yeah, I think the movie is... that movie rape where it starts out that he's raping her, and then she's like, no, passion. passion. Ugh, my least favorite thing in the world. (laughs) I I hate that trope so intensely. It's gross. It's just awful. You don't want this until I tell you that you do and then you do yeah yeah is it the sam peckinpah kind of sex scene where every... oh like in what is it i don't know straw dogs something like yeah that. yeah <laughs> but he, he is a trope where in every, every single one of his movies like some creep like forces himself upon a woman and she's like no get off me and then eventually it's like oh my hero and then it's just gross yeah it's a surprisingly, well, not surprisingly when you think about how horrible the world is, but it's right. a very common trope and it's disgusting and it occurs in this film. Yep. Anyway, spoilers, it turns out that Charlize is in this relationship with this Nazi as a spy. She is giving information from him to the Allies. Which she reached out to her ex-boyfriend from Cambridge regarding this. So they didn't recruit her, but she like volunteered right. essentially to... To do this. And they show, while she is sleeping with the Nazi officer, like, how despised she is by the French folk who live around her, the French community. They are saying things which are not subtitled for us, but But I assume they're very (laughs) me. So when Guy finds this out, this is when the war is ending. And she, he finds out because she saves his life. Oh, right. Yes. She pulls him from a situation where he was about to be found out. And sneaks him out of the restroom window. Mm-hmm. And he says in narration, he's like, she is in some way on our side. Mm-hmm. But then he finds out, like, the truth of she's been a spy and she was the person who volunteered to do this. Anyway, he finds out the war is ending and he's like, she's going to get killed. Yeah. Right? They, the people in France, the French resistance does not know they're going to kill her. Yeah. And guess what? They do. And there's a very tense scene, which I wish I knew the words for, <laughs> because that's my Charlie Zenith, or what are we saying? Charlie Char- Zenith? Charlie Zenith. Charlie Zenith is the scene where she is killed, because boy, does she do some really good face acting in that That is scene. also my Charlie that's Zenith. also mine. It's what? really, it's an incredibly powerful scene, even without words. She's so basically, she's, he's telling her that uh, she is responsible for the death of his sister. I got that from the Wikipedia plot. So. Okay. <laughs> oh, and that was the woman who got drowned in the bathtub? Uh, I don't know. That was oh. Spy. That was another spy. But his sister could be a spy. That could have been could his have sister. Could have been, yeah, yes. Especially if he was part of the resistance. Oh, possibly, yeah. But yes. And then nice. Stuart Townsend returns to her apartment, finds a letter that she never sent that explains her motivation all along 
was basically Penelope Cruz. Right. <laughs> Which I feel like this like this guy who's been in love with her his whole life, it might have stung a little for it to be like, like oh. I learned the error of my Nazi sympathizing ways because my girlfriend died. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, consequentially, I sort of care about you, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's the film. So the resistance is, like, breaking down Paris, and they're, like, tearing down Nazi flags, and she is in her apartment, and her Nazi comes to be like, I'm gonna take you to Germany, and she's like, I don't love you, dude. And then he gets shot from behind, from, like, a sniper across the way. And she gets uh, covered in his brain. She gets a lot of blood on her face, and then they break into the actual apartment and make her watch them blow his brains out, like, two inches from her, and then make her kiss his oh, gosh. exploded oh. head so that her mouth is covered in his brain blood. I, and like, then, suppressed that memory because it's so upsetting. <laughs> and then later you cut to her curled up in the fetal position on the bed, and I think we're meant to believe that's... That they raped her, the, too? The, no, I think that that's when she wrote the letter. Oh. And then they come and get her later, they throw her in a prison cell, and she's looking at the prison cell, and you see another woman having her hair publicly cut off in front of the square, because the first thing we must do uh, when we win a war is to humiliate and murder women. And so then that woman comes back into the cell and has some sort of tense exchange with Gilda, which we don't know, because it was all in French. And I think it's her telling her that, like, they're going to kill them. Yeah. And then she's taken out, and then the guy comes in and, like, flicks a knife open and talks to Charlize, and you just watch her face react to the news. And also we know, because the Nazi officer, like, secretly found out her birthday, that this is her 34th year. This is her last year. Right. So we never see her die, but oh, because he's like, oh, you said you were in your twenties. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I guess you'd be twenty-eight or something. Right. I would have thought you were in your twenties. There's nothing to be embarrassed about because she like never talks about her birthday. Right. And I think the implication is because she knows she's going to die. Which I resent the implication that the only way that you could have like an an unrestrained passion for life and the way that she has lived her life is the preordained knowledge that you're meant to die early. I did. That's why she's like adamant artist and a refuser to look at the world stage because yeah, she knows that her candle is short and blah 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 like I, think, I find that very tedious I think that was supposed to motivate her apathy as well if she was just like right. everything is gonna whatever is preordained doesn't matter what's gonna happen uh, which is just bollocks and, and then she realizes that at, at the end like that's where she becomes she's like I realize you were right we all share the same world blah 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 it's a very thin turnaround. But that last scene where she's looking into the camera with her bruised, battered face is very much practice for Atomic Blonde. Yeah. So she's a, a beaten up spy. This movie is not good. No. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I have a weakness. Last year there was a movie called Allied with Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard, and yeah. it, it is very similar. Uh, Charlotte Grey is also very similar. I'm going to watch that then. <laughs> it's got Kate Blanchett in it. It's much better than this. I think I actually read a review of this that was like, it's not as bad as Charlotte Grey. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but man, like, I just... Casablanca is my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. I just have a deep, deep weakness for doomed wartime romance. <laughs> I can't help it. Yeah. So yeah, so we should talk about, like, what movies is this one riffing off of because it really steals from a lot of other movies yes so i was like uh, off the top of my head i just jotted them down i was like it's a little bit of moulin rouge a little bit of the dreamers saving bright ryan a tiny bit the pianist a little bit charlotte gray and i was like even a little bit of like dead poet society when they're at cambridge yeah uh, and a beautiful mind and stuff like that like all the university scenes and like this draws from a lot and surprisingly all of those movies came before this one so this it's entirely plausible that they're just like, yeah, that's good. Let's just take a bit of, you know, French burlesque. 
Um, I I just this movie felt to me like a an adaptation of a novel that was unsuccessful for TV. Like it feels like right. it has all the hallmarks of a novel adaptation where you're like, it's too long. The storyline is disconnected. You're trying to cram too much in. All of your cuts are rapid. Your sense of time and place is very fluid and confusing for the audience because you're trying to include the mm. scope of a like war and peace into a two hour film. Right. And I found that super distracting because they would do these like stupid little vignette scenes that were meant to connote so much more. Like we had a long loving shot of dancers in a window ballet dancers after Mia has died and he's camping out to watch her and then uh, her being Charlize. And then when Charlize comes out and she turns away and they don't see her, that he's like looking off into the street and we see one awkward dancer outside. And I could not tell if that was supposed to be Mia's ghost or not dancing behind him. I um, don't think so. I think it was supposed to be a poor person who couldn't afford the ballet class. So they were looking in on the professional ballet class, but like a little like matchstick girl, a matchstick <laughs> dancer. And it was just like, that scene was like 30 seconds. And then it was like, I just felt like all the scenes were both too short and too long at the same time. It was very it's also, choppy. It's also very, very cheap. I was just going to say, these sound stages in say, this movie yeah. look terrible. It's, it's particularly the one outside of Gilda's apartment, which yeah. is very obviously a cardboard set and a matte painting where the stairs go down. And it's street. so old-fashioned looking. Yeah, it looks it looks like a set out of, there's a show in the UK called Dad's Army, which is like a really cheap wartime show. It looks like one of those sets. Yeah. It's awful. It's really embarrassing. Guys, I have a controversial statement. I think this might be the worst Charlie's acting I've ever seen. So, okay. Other than the Charlie Zenith, I found her performance in this shockingly wooden and boring. And for someone who's supposed to be, like, driven by, like, wild passions for life throughout the entire movie, it was so stilted. I'm sorry to say, but I was just like, she did not have the spark for me in this movie. I was thinking, like, her character is not, like, she's supposed to be sort of irresistibly, like, raw and charming and she just isn't. Which like, is ridiculous when you consider her uh, real life. Her real life yes. charisma. Correct. And everything else. I'm I just I feel like this is a standout movie in terms of like this is some of I think she was more charismatic in Children of the Corn Three Urban Harvest. I feel like I, I Which I, is a oh my God. I wanna give her the benefit of the doubt and be like, she was just playing down to Stuart Townsend's level of charm. Oh my god, he is so bad in this. Also, he just looked <laughs> like a poor man's Culkin the entire time. I was just like and I didn't even know there could be a poor man's Culkin, but he was so boring and so like, oh, I love her. But when I say that, I have no expression. And when I say I'm sad, I have no expression. And honestly, like, this movie was just so not affecting that when Penelope Cruz literally blew up in an ambulance, I was like, yawn, should I get some water? And then he, like, reads a eulogy at her grave, and I was like, this might as well you be, like, solving a crossword puzzle. It has no emotional resonance. And I'm, like, literally weeping. It was so dull! <laughs> I just get swept up in it. I also watched this movie in bed late at night, which I think maybe contributed to mm -hmm. it, and then I had dreams about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they were also kind of stress dreams because, again, encroaching fascism, surprisingly go. relevant to our lives in 2017. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. So I agree that Charlize was not up to her usual caliber in this. Mm -hmm. And I agree that Stuart Townsend is in some ways a black hole of charisma. I found him so much better in this than in Trapped, for example. Sure, yeah. 
But there was there a period of time where Stuart Townsend was considered to be extraordinarily handsome and charming? No. I feel like in the in the early aughts there was like when like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen came out and he was Dorian Gray. It was suppo- it was like a stop trying to make Stuart Townsend happen. Yeah, kind of thing. Because wasn't he? All, I I do I don't know why I know this. Well, I know because I watched it. Uh, there's an episode of Will and Grace where he plays like a superfluous baker, uh, and like Will has to go and fire him, but can't because he's so handsome and charming. Uh, this and might like, be a situation like my dad was so mad about Uma Thurman's mid '90s run <laughs> because the truth about cats and dogs and uh, Batman and Robin. There's like this series of movies where she's like supposed to be the most beautiful woman in the world, and yeah. he's like. She's not that pretty! (laughs) And I think that maybe Stuart Townsend had a similar thing. Yeah. I have to say, okay, my introduction to Stuart Townsend, I guess I saw League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is terrible, and I immediately forgot that it existed. Yep. But the first thing I really saw him in was the 2005 reboot of Kolchak the Night Stalker, which lasted around four episodes. (laughs) But I loved it. Okay, because, okay. like, I loved that the original show when I was a kid. They showed it at, like, 7 a.m. on Channel 11, and I loved it. <laughs> so I was very... And Gabrielle Union's in it, and I love her and everything. Anyway, so I do have a soft spot for Stuart Townsend because of that. But, man, he's he's not good at no, acting. His charisma is flat. Yes. Penelope Cruz also not up to her usual game. No, but I she thought was, she was the best. She's yes. clearly the best of the three. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, they consistently dressed her in red, which I thought was funny. I feel like every single scene she was oh, in, she really? was wearing like a bright red dress or a red hat or this or that. And I was like, visually, she stands out the most. And charisma-wise, she's really popping for me. Yeah. Yeah, she was great. I, I feel like... This, didn't this win an Oscar or something for the costume design? Or maybe it was nominated for the costume design? The outfits are beautiful, and Charlize's makeup in it, particularly when she tortures her dad by wearing her dead mom's outfits and her dead mom's makeup style. Oh, she's... Mwah! Yes! That was beautiful. I have a book of makeup styles from, like, different decades, and she, like, walked out of the pages of, like, the 1930s makeup. It was amazing. So, who would we replace Keanu with? I want to go first. Okay. This is a, this is silly and frivolous, <laughs> but in the beginning of the movie, right after the pool table sex, but she disappears from his life. He sees her in a movie. Oh, yes! <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to So I want Keanu to play the Roman soldier in that movie. <laughs> Who slaps her around. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was going to say he should replace Stuart Townsend, because Stuart Townsend is so replaceable. And but then he'd have to pretend to be Irish. Which yeah. would be such a treat! No! That's, I would love that! No, because I feel like I feel like people's experience, wrong people's experience of Keanu is my right experience of Stuart Townsend in this movie. Like, I feel like if you put Keanu Reeves in the Stuart Townsend role, you're just giving ammunition to the people who only think of Keanu Reeves as the bad Shakespeare playing right. gentleman. I mean, you were allowed your choice. But-, but I think one of the things that Keanu Reeves pulls off well that Stuart Townsend can't is charming naivete. True. So, yeah. like, you can be like, I, I can understand her latching onto Keanu being like, oh, I don't really believe in countries, blah, blah, like, whatever naive bollocks he believes in. You know, it, it, at the moment, it doesn't make any sense why she would latch onto him or why he would latch onto her. But He I apparently totally... has an amazing, as she put it, Willie. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is a terrible word. It is awful, yeah. 
But yeah, I, that's why I would put uh, Keanu in that role. Also, we know he's better at biting her butt than Stuart Townsend is. There you go. Yeah. We've got proof. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to cast Keanu, like older, current day Keanu, as her shitty dad. Okay, cool. Because I thought that scene was one of the only interesting scenes in it because I felt like it was one of the only times that Gilda had a reasonable emotional arc as a character where it was sort of like, oh, she has a specific want that is not just generic and she has, you know, like she is mad at her dad because he married a woman younger than her and also that she blames him for her mother's suicide. Her mother was a rich American. Her father is a French, like, Champagne region, super wealthy person. Right. And her mother was, they had split and her mother, like, threw herself off of an ocean liner. And so I just feel like the the uncomfortable dinner scene of the four of them was one of the better parts of the movie. So I would want Keanu in that. By the way, I looked up its awards and it won some Genie Awards, which is the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Television. Okay, then. There we go. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> John Dwiggin I wonder were those terrible sound stages in Canada maybe Possibly. yeah who knows I guess they had to do snowy Spain and also Paris so oh Canada could probably do all those things but it looks like they, they went to Cambridge right did they blow their location budget on Cambridge must have done yeah, yeah. yeah. that's the oh, only man. exterior shots <laughs> they kept using the same shot of Paris like the the b-roll of like here's the Eiffel Tower it's a still right. it was like a photograph from a postcard that they just held up in front of a lens they were like eh good enough yeah here's some miniature houses for the foreground and here's a photograph of it in the 1930s in the background yeah I will give this movie like you are correct it is a melodrama and I feel like it it means that in the traditional sense like the strings in this movie are so out of control like heartstring pulling the swelling yeah. the oh my god it was very unbearable <laughs> let's do an ebert or mebert okay so <clears throat> mia and gilda are lovers sort of they're the kind of movie lesbians whose relationship exists primarily to accommodate the men in their lives and excite the men in the audience ebert ebert it's an ebert Woo! i also want to read the final line of his review because it is exactly how i feel about this film <laughs> it wants to be a hard panting melodrama with spies and sex and love and death and there are times when a movie like this is exactly what you feel like indulging. But. That's it. But. <laughs> for me, there is no but. And for Ebert, there is no but. He gave it three stars. Really? God, I love you, Roger Ebert. <laughs> I, think, I think maybe part of my like issue with this movie is, like I said, like I wasn't angry when I was watching it. I was very just sort of like, am I seeing a film? Sure, I suppose. Like, I just didn't have very strong reactions to it. Hmm. But in retrospect, I think part of my issue with it is it's a film about encroaching fascism and nazism and we are witnessing this through the suffering of an incredibly wealthy person who has no concern of what is coming and it's meant to be like her pain is what we're that's like that's the storyline and guy's storyline one thing sorry continue i just you know like at some point guy we see him kill someone in the spanish civil war and that's meant to like demonstrate all of the horrors. Did of you war. notice he wears his locket? For the yes, yeah. I did. But then he blows up a train full of Nazis. No remorse. And that reminded me of another thing my dad used to say when Nazis were killed in movies. He'd say, "Don't worry, they're not people. They're Nazis." <laughs> well, I also think that this movie sort of echoed a thing that like I just find troubling generally is the Spanish Civil War is something that I remember when I learned about it that I was shocked that I didn't know about it earlier. Like huh. I feel like the Spanish Civil War is a thing that I did never had heard of. In high school. I don't even know if I heard about it in college. I think I was in graduate school when it was like, yeah. And the idea that like other 
countries were sending or individuals were going voluntarily to like, it feels like such a singular event and that so many things happen and it was so awful and big, but people were like, but world war two is that much bigger. So we talked about it in high school as like the dry run for world war two, which I think is kind of a gross way of describing it. It, It's very ignoring their singular problems correct and i also think it's like it's sweeping the stage and in some ways it feels like but what happens to other parts of europe is more important and like i I don't know i just i think the way that it's just not common knowledge or like a thing that is talked about at all at least at least in my experience i I, I will preach like that's you know that could just be my own ignorance i should have known about it but i didn't bob did you learn about this in school also yeah you're in Europe, so... Yeah, we learned about it in school, okay. right? And it was it's, it's certainly something you learn at the same time as learning about World War II. Right. So it's like, this happened, and then World War II happened. It's like right. The Hobbit, and then Lord of the Rings. It's Spanish Civil <laughs> War, World War II. But yeah, it's, it's all part and parcel of the same kind of thing. It's like the encroaching scourge of nationalism. Yeah. Also happening now. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I thought, like, a thing that I did find interesting about it in terms of the portrait of everyday life under occupation in Paris, of, like, there can be all these awful things that we all know are happening across Europe. And people Europe. are still hanging out in cafes. Well, that, like, your day-to-day minutes still have to be filled. Doing like, podcasts about whoever were the famous actors of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that was kind of, I was like, okay. But I just think, like, one of my favorite movies, and I'm going to forget the name. <laughs> and I'll you tell love it you so what much. it is. No, you, you I might. don't know what it is. Yeah. What was it about? Uh, so basically, it's a movie that it's one of the this this movie going experience is very magical. I was in Edinburgh, drop, and I went to the movies by myself, which is a thing I don't often do. And it's a French movie that was filmed during occupation, and it's about like art and other things. And there's a mime in it. I fucking love mimes because I'm a weirdo. <laughs> and it was just like this beautiful movie that they were able to create and like the weird story of how it had to take place during occupation and i just feel like if you want an idea of that time like that's a much more vivid and interesting movie to see than this one there are a lot of movies like i said of that of that specific thing yeah like i said before recent example of this kind of movie that is much better is allied Mm-hmm. Although that also got some bad reviews. I just, maybe I cannot be trusted when it comes to <laughs> wartime melodramas. I just love it. Ooh, I had a thing I wanted to say. Oh, the main character. It's pretty clear to me that Guy is the main character of this movie. But I think that they thought that Gilda was. Because it opens with her. The title is clearly inspired by her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, the the beginning of the movie is structured extremely badly because it's like it starts off with the palm reading scene which is set up like it's a framing device like right. it's gonna it's like do it's a, like it's a fucking fairy tale well like it should, yeah. it should have had like the ending should have been the devil's advocate like snatching your hand away from the palm reader uh and then being like so you know whatever like now your lesson is learned kind of thing but it doesn't it ne- you never return to that palm reader so it's, and why would you it's not like she's I, it was. They should have cut that scene. Well, it yeah. Was it, 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 well, also, bad casting. That young girl looked nothing like Charlize Theron. Uh, she had the same haircut, though. <laughs> That's how we know. The movie is Enfant du Paradis. Okay. Cool. I can't speak French, so apologies for my pronunciation. Enfant. Enfant. It's beautiful and true. You Children of it. Paradise. Is that what that means? Yes. See, this so, is how we made it through this movie without subtitles. Thank you, exactly. romantic languages. <laughs> so yeah, so that you have that thing which is set up like it's going to be a framing device. 
uh, and it's all about her, like what her experience is going to be. And then the immediately following scene, it starts with Stuart Townsend as the narrator, clearly focusing on him. And she's gone for significant portions of the movie. Right. And you don't know her motivations until the very end. Right. She's a manic pixie sex girl. Yeah. Like, she, yeah. Like, she's supposed to, like, she is an artist. She's a photographer. She has art shows. She's supposed to be renowned. Like, you see her constantly in the studio. He's her assistant. But it's like, we don't really focus on that or what she's doing. Like, it seems to be well received, yeah. the art that she's creating. But yeah, it's just about the boring, dowdy guy. Right. And Mia is similarly underdrawn. Mm-hmm. Yes. And could have been such an interesting character. Well, she was still, yeah, I mean, she still had the most substance of all the characters. I mean, Penelope Cruz did what she could, right? Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. There's also, like, a super weird segment where they come back and they see Mia in the bathroom trying to put salve on her back because she's been whipped. And then... Yeah. Oh, I forgot all about yeah, that. Yeah, and then Gilda's like, hey, she's real upset. Like, you two go out. Like, don't go after that guy. If you beat him up, he's got powerful friends. But then she calls the guy who beat Mia and is like, I'm into it. I'm strong. I can take it. And then we see a slightly s and scene where he goes to like, I don't know, whip her, but she instead ties him up and then beats him. But he likes it. And that's it. And <laughs> so, then that character never comes back. Right. They never discuss it again. Like it was set up up to that point as if that character was going to be important, that man, yeah. because you knew mm-hmm. that Gilda didn't care for him or she didn't like that Mia was seeing him, and Mia's like, oh, she's just jealous, blah, blah, blah. But then it just, that storyline just went up in a puff of I smoke. honestly think that they wanted to include another sex scene. Yeah. Like, I think, I really think this movie, at one point, was going to have a ton of sex in it, and then yeah. they cut a bunch of it out. And I would have liked it better if it had more sex in it. <laughs> I was I was really looking forward to some Charlize on Penelope action. Well, speaking yeah. of things that would make it better, would this movie, in fact, be improved by a prison riot? A hundred percent, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, a war. It's, uh, right. We're, they're we're, there for when the Nazi occupation ends in Paris. Right. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It, e- easily. You could either do it with POWs or you could do it with people like Nazis rounded up at the end. There's all kinds of places. When they go in. blow up the train of Nazis, they could have been freeing POWs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's a thousand ways you could make. I mean, there's a million ways you can make this movie better, but a thousand ways only with prison riots. So where are we ranking? Oh, I did. There was one other scene I wanted to talk about when I was like, I just, I think this is my example of why I think that this is the least of the Charlize canon in terms of her acting. Yeah, is there's a scene with her and Stuart Townsend walking and they're discussing what the mind is. And whether or not things are preordained or not, like that she oh, always yeah. meant, she always had to pick his room to walk into. And the, like the complete lack of connection between the two of them and the way that the lines come tumbling out of their mouth, like it's so bad. I think it's one, it's just such a painful scene, both dialogue wise, like the writing is atrocious and like the acting in it is just like I said, paper dolls moving along the stage. If you'd seen this at the time, would you have predicted that their relationship was not going to last? I don't like to comment on her personal <laughs> There's, like, a thing, though, that often people in real relationships don't have on-screen chemistry. Oh, okay. Uh, but I don't know why that is. Other times, they totally do, and it's awesome. <laughs> also, to be fair, like, they stayed together for another six years after this. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. I just assumed it was doomed. I mean, it was. It was preordained to <laughs> yeah. fail. Yeah, <laughs> to talk about her 
personal life. <laughs> so my ranking would be, even though I do think that this is the worst Charlie's acting, and my list is largely based on her performances in movies, I can't in good conscience put this at the bottom. It's coming in pretty close to the bottom. I am going to put it below Men of Honor and above the Cider House Rules. Because I, I think at least Men of Honor has What's-His-Face McGee in it. Cuba Gooding Jr. and uh, Robert, De Niro. Robert De Niro. <laughs> I, I forgot you put Men of Honor so low. Yeah. Well, because she's barely in it, I think, was my reasoning. I have to listen to what I said. Okay. Uh, I'm going to rank this. Uh, it's going to be fifth from the bottom. So it's just above 50 minutes and just below Eon Flux for reasons pertaining to it not being at all memorable and being paper thin and not very good, just like those two movies. And it's going to be Robin's number one! (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. So I struggled with whether or not to put this above or below Men of Honor. I forgot you ranked that so high. I really liked Men of Honor, but I'm going to put it above Men of Honor and below that thing you do. Oh, thank God for that. It's sort of based on that would you watch it again thing. Mm -hmm. I actually think that I might try to track down a actual copy of this film with subtitles and watch it again. It's eight ninety nine on Amazon. That there you go. So without the time crunch of this, I think I think I might spend the nine bucks and watch it with subtitles. So spending <laughs> money on something and watching it again, like that's pretty good. Piracy then, does sometimes lead to sale. Piracy? What are you talking about? <laughs> we watched this through methods. <laughs> we had a friend. We projected onto the astral plane to watch this movie. <laughs> we traveled back in time we used to the, the editing room and said stop, but they we, couldn't hear us because we were on the wall. We Ghost used, travelers. We used the Eon Flux pill. To <laughs> telepathically know what the movie contained. But it just didn't have the subtitles. Yeah. So anyway, so this would be my new number seven. And I also wanted to address the recommendation threshold. Oh yeah. I think this might be my recommendation threshold. So With the caveat. It's above it or below it? Basically on the line. Okay. <laughs> like I'd sort of be like, do you like melodrama? Then watch this. Gotcha. Otherwise, no. Whereas everything above it, I'm like, you gotta watch this. It's great. Yep. So you ranked it above Men of Honor or below? Above. So you would not recommend Men of Honor? Right. Okay. Like, Men of Honor's fine, but, but I don't recommend. really think there's any reason to spend... God, remember, it was so long. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> oh, what yeah. is your recommendation threshold? My recommendation threshold is just below two days in the valley. Okay. Two days in the valley. I think I said and the valley. <laughs> I think my recommendation threshold is also just above two days in the valley, which means it's the lowest one of all of us. I would recommend a oh, lot of wow, bad movies. Yeah. I'd be like, Eon Flux? Yeah. Do you have the flu and just want to maybe watch a movie that you could fall asleep and it wouldn't matter? Put that on. It's fun. But I mean, it's good that your recommendation threshold is so low because you also have that thing you do very low. It's right in the middle. I feel like that's my enjoyed it threshold, is I enjoyed Snow White and the Huntsman and above, <laughs> and that thing you do Snow White below. and the Huntsman is my enjoyed it threshold, too. <laughs> yep. But you didn't enjoy it. No, that I didn't enjoy Huntsman Winter's War. Oh, okay. Snow White and the Huntsman is entirely different. Piece. Gotcha. I keep forgetting because Huntsman Winter's War is so much higher for me. <laughs> Why? Who knows? I don't know. This oh, is an imprecise science, guys. It's true, guys. It's, we're learning episode by episode what we think. Also, just to... I don't know if we talked about this in our last episode. We did not rank the music video. We're counting that as a separate entity. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So, anyway, thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, thank you so much to Alex Reed for our uh, incredible theme tune. Thank you to everyone working against the encroaching fascism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fight the power. Resist. 
Yes. Also, thank you to High on Film, because I want to. And thank you to Sean Collier, uh, the podcast. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. Yeah, I just think Robin says it better than me. It's not that I forgot. Um, <laughs> it's just how we do. And... Most importantly... Thank, thank you, Charlies. Come on! <laughs> Next time I'll be more enthusiastic. not seen The Dreamers. The Dreamers is the kind of movie you accidentally recommend to your parents and then wish you had. Because <laughs> I have done that. I won't oh. be doing that. <laughs> I just made a dead parent joke, guys, and it did not get the proper respect that it deserved. <laughs> I will not be recommending The Dreamers to my parents. Brunch. Crickets. <laughs> so, what is the proper response? Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious laughter. <laughs>